So QP education workers may go off the job this week, but they also may get a new contract legislated for them. It's a dangerous game both sides have been playing here, and it creates anxiety and tension, not just among the union members, not just among the Ford government, but how about us as parents? And how about our kids? We're trying to put them first after... I'd make the case we didn't do a very good job of doing it the last 31 months. Behan Farhadi joins us to discuss all these issues and then some on Toronto Today. She's been on our show a fair bit and we're very pleased to have her back. Also a research associate at the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. There aren't a lot of positive directions to go here, Behan, with this. What's your thought on, on some of the rhetoric and some of the statements made by both sides yesterday? Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me on sure. again. Um, yeah, I think I'm coming at this like from a number of lenses. I'm a parent with two elementary age kids. Um, I also analyze policy and have been trying to track the um, changes uh, across, especially the last um, four years and during COVID. My my read of this is I I mean forget the rhetoric aside. I think that there is an ask for. Um, workers, and in this case, I think the lowest paid workers in one of the largest portfolios in the province to kind of absorb the um, the impact of um, austerity, right? Like as, you know, we, there's this kind of talk of tightening our budgets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't know that that's aligned with, um, with like the sense that we don't have resources and therefore we can't sort of provide workers, um, again, lowest wage workers, waged workers, uh, a living wage or a wage that they can live with. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a, for me, it's just this kind of provincial, this moment of like thinking about what our values are and thinking about whether we're going to align our actions with our values. And I, I think it's a sobering moment. I don't think anyone's enthusiastic about what's happening. Um, I'm not. <laughs> I, I think I'm worried as well. And I'm worried, um, you know, thinking about the impact it's going to have on students uh, across the across the province. Tell me about your lens as a parent right now. Yeah, I mean, my partner and I were talking about it last night. What are we going to do? Right. I'm working full time. He's having to be in the office. We can again, I think. When we're thinking about the impact of decisions like these, it's it's not necessarily my family. Like we'll manage, we'll figure out a way for my partner to work at home, um, but it's going to be folks who have to be at work. Um, it's and it's a kind of catch twenty two, right? So it's it's the lowest paid wor- paid workers having to, and and also those workers are also families. Like I'm not. Um, it's not beyond me that the 55,000 workers at QP are also parents um, and they're having to figure it out. So they're putting this pressure on them to have to absorb uh, like terms in a contract that is going to lower their ability to meet the needs of their own children. And then at the same time, those who are not QP workers having to think about how they're going to care for their kids for a potential strike. It's, it's just a really like unfortunate situation all around. I think in everybody's circumstances, as you note, are, are so different. A 27-year-old custodian, let's say, that lives in Bowmanville making 50 grand, that doesn't seem so bad. No kids yet. You're starting your life. You're, you're, you're doing okay. A 48-year-old EA um, with two kids making you know, hourly wages living in, in North York and having her rent jacked up, I don't like the sounds of that. I, I I just don't know how to meet all that in the middle. And I, I wonder if you wonder how there's a way to do that also. There's a lot of varying circumstances with these union members. 
Yeah, and a lot of varying, I mean, I'm also thinking about the power, right, of entering into a negotiation where we have workers uh, that are, you know, they're, we, they have to negotiate with the province. They're not negotiating with their local board. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the province, I think, very obviously has a disproportionate amount of power here. And although there's rhetoric on both sides, um, I, I'm one, you know, labor power is the only power that workers have to for that for that worker in in Toronto um, to assert their quite frankly like I think their um, their right to uh, to bargain fairly um, and so I, I don't know you know from a from the perspective of of like labor, labor I'm not a labor policy analyst right but I think there's something to be said about at least the from from the public stance of looking at who holds power and who who holds less power who holds disproportionate power um, and the ways that I think workers are trying to um, use the only tools they have in their toolbox right now um, to, to be honest, like to, to fight for something that's been a long time coming. This has been something that workers have been asked to absorb over and over and over again. And it's not specific to this particular government, obviously, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Behan Farhadi, our guest, education expert research associate of the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. I was just going to bring that up. Is there something unique about Ontario where parents say this just seems to keep happening all the time? What is it? And I don't know how we, again, change the perspective and change the conversation to where there's just less ugliness and and vitriol with it. It gets so personal, but I get it. It's people's living, so they care about it. Yeah, I, I think part of part of it is. I mean, I understand the kind of sentiment of the public of just being like tired of everything. Again, I'm, I'm part of that. I think the difference is that you know who has the mic right now is not you know who is able to get to a podium to kind of sh- get the message out isn't also shared equally. So I think there's a lot of sense in the province, and there's been I guess a certain number of years in which there's a sense of teachers this, teachers that. And there's a sense that it's a teacher strike. It's not a teacher strike. And I think teachers also have the right to strike. So it's not even mm-hmm. that, but it's like thinking about the position of the folks that are are set to strike and how long, like they've been trying to get this contract since summer, since June, I think. Um, and these are, again, our lowest paid workers, $39,000 on average, um, and w- those are who are living in the most populated cities that you reference, right, mm-hmm. um, are going to be the, the, those most impacted. They're, they're working with our most vulnerable students. So from an education lens, it's like I'm really rooting for them because I'm thinking about the kids in the system and the ways that they've been also asked to absorb cuts year after year after year and the priorities we have as a province. But it's not necessarily, I think, the folks who are sort of vocal about their their uh, exhaustion about all of this. It's folks who are too tired to even like talk about it or care because they don't know what's going on and they feel like none of this is in their control. Um, and I think, as I said before, it's this kind of catch 22. It's this situation where everyone's feeling exhausted, including the workers. Yeah, I think you nailed it. And, and again, I've heard from a, a public school, an, excuse me, an elementary school vice principal who said, I make 125 grand a year. I, I know no one could justify an 11.7% raise for me. But these people deserve it. Their receptionists deserve it. The office workers deserve it. The um, you know the uh, early childhood educators who deal with with special needs and and, uh, and and the struggles of autistic children they deserve it. But the Me Too clause is a big big problem here to push forward and say, well, you gave that union eleven point seven percent. We need it too. Those are big issues. 
Right. And then it's also about thinking about the real wage and about keeping our wages the same <laughs> um, and, and thinking about the impact of in- inflation. And so this is a government that's benefited from inflation, right? They, they're coming out with, you know, $2 billion in surplus and we're giving up parents $250 per child and we're not blinking and we're not, we're not having a kind of like debate about that. Right. But we're having a debate about, in this case, like raising the wages of workers. I don't think it's average like three twenty three dollars and twenty five cents an hour. It sounds like a lot with 11 percent. And even even again, across the education sector um, to us, like I feel like it's a race to the bottom and we're all arguing about who deserves what. And the folks we're having to fight over what are perceived as scraps are like the majority of Ontarians. And that's not where wealth is concentrated. So, and there's a sense that we can't do anything about this. And I, I you know, my, my belief is that we can. And my belief in that is, is not just sort of an opinion so much as it is looking at the way, the choices we've been making in policy around what are the values that we have as a province. Um, and so I'm, again, thinking about a, a, a government that wasn't necessarily elected because everyone went out to exercise their right and to sort of, I think there's just folks who are tired. They haven't even left their house to, to like think about what it is that they, what representation they want, what their values are. And, and yeah, I think we're in a time where just we're exhausted. Bayana, I know how much you value uh, education as a whole and uh, the value of education workers. Those are two different things, but they're both critically important. Thanks very much for the time today. Thanks for having me. Behan Farhadi, our guest, 